It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Steve Silver, Research Director of Sales Operations Strategies for Serious Decisions. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing excellent, Andy. Thank you. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about you. What's your background? Well, so I'm currently a Research Director with Serious Decisions in our Sales Operations Strategies group. And uh, Serious Decisions conducts primary research. We do a lot of market studies both with our clients and at the broader marketplace. And in the sales operations strategies group, our focus is on basically the processes, the measurements, the technologies that sales organizations use to execute the sales motion, if you will, to go to market, to engage with customers, to convert prospects into clients and to manage uh, uh, clients. So give me an idea of, of what's some specific topic areas within that research that you guys address. Yeah, so um, some topic areas, especially uh, this time of year when a lot of companies are wrapping up their, uh, their fiscal year and planning for the next year, we're doing a lot of work around uh, account-based selling. So what are the right accounts to have? Uh, direct sales targeting. How do you maximize revenue from those accounts? Uh, we're do, we do a lot of work with our clients around compensation planning and the strategy of sales compensation we do um, an awful lot of work with clients around sales technology. As you know, Andy, uh, companies continue to spend lots and lots of money on sales technology. And yet, when we survey our buyers, when we talk to people who are actually make buying decisions around technology purchases, their satisfaction levels are extremely low, about in the 50% range in terms of return on investment and meeting expectations. So right. we work a lot with our clients to help them select the right technologies, first of all, for their business, but then maximize the value of that technology for both end users and for the business. Yeah, and I want to dive into that topic a little bit later because I think that's really a, a critical one. It seems like mm-hmm. sort of hype exceeds delivery at this point in time, for at least for companies and the way they implement some of those technologies. Completely agree. Yeah, we, we see that time and time again. All right, so use the term that I think a lot of people are hearing more and more you want to have guests on the show that use industry terminology. I want to make sure we define it for the audience. So we use the term account-based selling. So we have two things that we hear about now, account-based marketing and account-based selling. So why don't you, if you could, talk about both and how account-based selling, what account-based selling really is. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a new term, although I do agree it, it bears some um, uh, definition. So account-based selling is really a direct sales strategy where you designate a, a typically a relatively small set of accounts for direct sales engagement. So you sometimes, some companies use the term uh, global accounts, national accounts, strategic accounts, or some other term. But mm-hmm. it's, it's basically taking a subset of your most important customers, your largest customers that are strategically important to your organization, and putting dedicated sales resources assigned to those customers. Okay. So so why is it talked about like it's new? I mean, it's like a lot of things. I, you know, these days, you know, they, they sort of, like I said, the enthusiasm's out there. But yeah, I mean, 
account based selling, strategic account selling. I mean, it's been around forever. So what what's new about it? And maybe in today's terms, and maybe in terms of the tools and technologies that are being applied to it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a new concept as much as perhaps a, a, a packaging up of best practices around approaching these large accounts. So, okay. for example, when we when we think about taking an account-based selling approach, one of the critical uh, success factors is to have an account plan. And, and that's a plan that lays out not just what is sales going to do, but what is anyone who's interacting with that account going to do. So that would include your marketing functions either a centralized marketing, if you have an account-based marketing group, what are they going to do, what is field marketing going to do, even including sales engineers, executive sponsors. So it's really a way of capturing that account ecosystem, if you will, bringing it under not necessarily a direct management, but but an integrated management approach and making sure that everything you're doing with your largest, most strategic accounts is is moving in the right direction, is coordinated, and you're communicating among those various functional parts of the organization. Okay. Now, account-based marketing. I know it's not your area of expertise necessarily, but I'm sure you can talk to that a little bit. Well, I can because it's, it's an area where we are both advocates and proponents of um, a lot of collaboration between account-based selling and account-based marketing. In, in our opinion, you really can't have one without the other. So, Account-based marketing, it, it, think of it, it really, it's, it's sort of highly targeted marketing activities. Instead of broad marketing designed to generate leads or create demand or even uh, create brand awareness, account-based marketing is very focused, again, on that, on that subset of accounts, those largest customers, those strategic customers. And you're really asking the question or answering the question of what do we need to do from a marketing perspective? within those specific accounts to land the business, to expand the business, to generate awareness, to work hand-in-hand with sales in order to retain, to acquire, retain, and grow those customers. So we, we really view those two, account-based marketing and account-based sales, as being intimately linked and, and in an ideal situation, close interlocked between those functions. Okay. So as you said, it's basically just the marketing counterpart of a strategic account plan, if you will, for sales, is you're going to have the same thing going on for your messaging to your strategic accounts. That, that's absolutely right. In fact, you use the word plan. We, we are definitely advocates of both an account sales plan. So that's one that, that the sales organization would develop and execute on, as well as a marketing plan that's really the, the peer to that. And, and those two things it should be a very collaborative effort in developing and executing those plans. Should be. Should be. Isn't always, <laughs> but should be. Well, it seems like when you get it down to that that level, when you're really focused on you know, specific account or you know, subset of accounts that are strategic to the company, it seems like it should be easier to get sales and marketing in alignment, right? It, it should be. And, and in fact, that's where many organizations start because you are dealing with, uh, let's say, a very known universe. Right? We, for the most part, we know or should know who our most valued accounts are. A lot of times we'll help our clients put together an account selection or segmentation tool that says it's not just who's generating the most revenue. You may also need to consider your relationship with the account, your growth opportunity in that account, the sales relationship with that account, um, you know, whether the account is, is looking to you as a strategic part of their growth plan. So are they leveraging your products and services to support their own um, growth uh, objectives. Or does the account 
really fit with where you're going as a company? Or do they fit with where you're going as a company? Because, yeah, as your, exactly as your product right. mix changes yeah. and your focus changes, are they still relevant? And that's, I see that so often as that companies hang on to these type of accounts in terms of the, the resources they allocate to them way longer than they should. That's right. Or, or you get an account who um, is really looking to you. They want to negotiate volume discounts. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But if that's all they're looking to you for is the low-cost uh, solution provider or vendor, they're probably not a candidate for an account-based marketing slash account-based sales approach. Not no. to say you should walk away from them, but you want to you want to move management of that account to your lowest sales resource, and that might be an inside sales resource. It might be some sort of account manager, uh, or even an e-commerce type strategy. Yeah, well, I think for managers that and sales reps that are in that situation, what the customer is saying to you is they don't see value in the channel, right? So if they don't see right, so if they don't see value in the channel, don't invest in the channel that's to exactly cultivate right. the account. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and truthfully, it's usually not that hard to figure out, um, but it does take some time to step back. And and so again, when we talk about annual planning, selecting those accounts that are candidates for this more focused approach is really part of the annual planning process. Hmm. Now, is this? I imagine the challenge changes whether you're you know a large enterprise selling to a you know, strategic account or a smaller enterprise. I mean. You know, one of the things that, that I've been talking to a number of guests about recently is, you know, how small companies can use uh, sales to large accounts as a way to grow the business. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's a little bit more difficult for them sometimes to make that decision to say, look, we need to sort of not, you know, deprioritize, if you will, this particular account because there's bigger fish out here, but it's really generating a lot of revenue for us. I, I it, it, it may be more difficult. But that doesn't mean it's any less critical. In, in fact, one could argue that it's perhaps more critical for a, a small to mid-sized company to be highly focused in their sales and marketing efforts. They, they simply don't have the, the massive amount of resources to sort of throw at the problem, if you will. So I, I think it's even more important to go through this segmentation exercise and for a small business really understand who are our buyers? Who are our target accounts? Where will we recognize the most uh, revenue? Where's the growth potential? And how can we go execute on that? You know, rather than uh, it's certainly it's important for a large a large account, large um, enterprise, but they typically have a little bit more flexibility in their resources. So I, I I think you're right. It can be difficult, but it's equally as valuable. Oh, I agree. Yeah, it's just it seems hard because right, I've got somebody that's producing five percent of my revenue over here. I'm a small mid sized company. But they're not where we're going anymore. That's right. Man, it's, yeah. it's still five yeah. percent of my revenue. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Andy, that that doesn't mean disconnect from them. No, I know, I understand. I'm just saying, it, you know, yeah. from a manager's perspective, those are conversations you have. That's right. It, it just it, to to your point earlier, it means transferring the responsibility for that account to a lower cost resource, and and being brutally honest with yourself about where your growth is going to come from. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you talked earlier about the investment companies are making in technologies, sales technologies, and not necessarily deriving the, the value from that. I mean, you, you wrote recently about how to get more value from your sales technologies. You know, in your mind, what, what sort of comprise, what tools comprise the basic sales stack for companies these days? Well, I'll tell you, that's an easy question to ask and a not so easy question to answer. Well, that's why I'm asking and you're answering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and if you would ask me that maybe even, 
12, 18 months, two years ago, I, I probably would have had a more definitive answer because you would have said, okay, Salesforce automation is the core platform and, and it still is. And these are things when I say Salesforce automation, I'm talking about, of course, Salesforce.com, uh, Microsoft CRM Dynamics, Oracle Sales Cloud, SAP Sales, those types of tools. And that, that's still the core. And then you would have layered on maybe a configure price quote tool, a sales analytics tool, um, maybe something to manage your channel partners. And, and you could roughly categorize sales technologies into maybe eight to 10 categories. And, and, and we were doing that. We had our sales technology wheel, if you will. We, we recently did away with that. And the reason is, a couple of reasons. First of all, there's been this explosion of vendors in the marketplace. Right. So you're just seeing more and more vendors come out. And, and frankly, many of them don't want to be categorized into these very narrow guardrails that, that, we, that we want to throw them into. Um, so the vendors are, are expanding. And the existing vendors, through either acquisition or expanding of their product lines, are also pushing those guardrails and moving beyond what you might traditionally think of. So, for example, a... Um, a configure price quote vendor is taking the data that they're getting through ha by having sales reps prepare quotes, configure deals, and present them to, to clients to gather data, turn that into insight, turn that into intelligence, and provide it back to sales reps as useful intelligence about an opportunity and give guidance to sales reps. So, now you start to ask, well, is that a configure price quote tool? Is it a sales intelligence tool? Is it both? Is it an analytics tool? And the answer is it's, it's a blend of all the above. So, I, you know, a, a, as an analyst, uh, as an analyst company, it makes it a little more difficult to, for us because we really do want to categorize stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. This, you want to make it clear. We do. We do. And, and we're struggling um, to do that. And, and I think uh, – what we've done is broaden the categories, but also acknowledge that, you know, vendors are moving beyond these, these narrow categories. They're, they're broadening their expertise. That being said, I, I would say there's two areas, general trends that we're seeing in, in, uh, in technology. And the first one is, um, companies are going beyond their core expertise to add analytics. Like I, like I just described. Right. So, so almost every tool out there, is trying to add value back beyond just performing a function and, and look at how can we perform that function, gather data, and then leverage that data to provide greater sales intelligence, either to sales or to marketing, so that you're getting guidance out of it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the holy grail, to some degree, is that, I mean, I'm, I'm projecting, is that you know, companies like to get to the point where basically, you know, salesperson wakes up, turns on the smartphone and they've been given directives by <laughs> by their various systems that they're using the elements of their sales stack that got together and said look these are the people you need to call today because and you know that's very much sort of taken out of their hands in terms of deciding what they need to do yeah 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 i think it's 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 um i wouldn't use the word directive i would say guidance right because i i do believe uh, and this starts to get into that debate of, you know, what's the role for the B2B salesperson and, and does that role continue? Um, but I, I think you can absolutely provide guidance and intelligence to the sales rep that helps them make more informed decisions about what they're going to do that day, how they're going to do it, who they're going to do it with. 
how, how they're going to spend their time. And, and you're spot on. That's what many of the tool vendors are trying to do is capture intelligence by facilitating a process and then provide that guidance to the sales rep. So, all right, we're going to go back and answer the question before the break. <laughs> is So what would be sort of the, the core? Let's say your small, mid-sized business. What's the core mm-hmm. of your sales stack? You're probably going to have a CRM system, Salesforce automation, as you talked about. Yep. You're definitely going to have that. Um, the, the, probably the, the next thing that you're going to want is some sort of sales analytics tool, some sort of sales management tool that helps you uh, – not just manage the activity of the sales organization or report on the activity of the sales organization. All of your CRM tools can do that, but something that's getting a little more predictive. And predictive is the hottest buzzword we're seeing right, right now. And and, and so it's, give me give us an example. What would be a tool that's predictive? Uh, you want a specific um, yeah, yeah. vendor that's out there sure, doing this? Sure. Um, well, the, I think the Taz Group is an example of a company that's doing this. They have a, a product called DealMaker. Uh, and I say this, there are lots of them out there, right? There are pure analytics players. There are lots of, of sales tools out there. But what they're trying to do is analyze each opportunity, look at past buyer behavior, look at the relationship that the sales rep has with the organization, look at whether you've identified a compelling event, a reason for the customer to buy, and then provide guidance to the salesperson about where are you in this opportunity and what's your likelihood of closing this opportunity based on what you've done so far? And then what's the next logical step, right? And now there, there are lots of companies out there doing that. Revigy is another one that's doing that very well. But, but that's where they're going is uh, exactly to your point. I wake up and the, the system is sort of proactively telling me, hey, that, that uh, opportunity has been sitting in stage three for 45 days, which is 50% longer than typical. That's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Either it's stalled and you should take it out of your pipeline, or there needs to be a good reason why it's sitting there. Right. Right. Or you haven't reached the decision maker, or you haven't identified a compelling event, or some other uh, red flag. That's, that's the type of intelligence that we're starting to see added into these sales productivity tools. Got it. Well, great. Well, we're going to take a break, a short break here. But before we do, I've got a hypothetical scenario for you. And I ask this question of all my guests. So, you, I'll give it to you, and I'll get your answer after the break. So here's the scenario. You've been hired as a new sales manager into a company whose sales have stalled out, and they desperately need to be turned around. And senior management's really anxious to have this happen in a hurry. So what two things would you do on your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Okay. So think about that, and we'll take your answer after the break. We're right back with my guest, Steve Silver, from Serious Decisions. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. Welcome back. My guest today, Steve Silver, Research Director and Sales Operations Strategies Group at Serious Decisions. Uh, Steve, before the break, we had talked about the hypothetical scenario, new sales manager, company sales need to be turned around. What two things would you do the first week that have the biggest impact? Well, that's a, it's a really good question. And uh, I think there's a lot of things you could do. But, but where, where I immediately went when you asked the question was, number one, I want to assess 
the opportunities. You know, let's take a look at the pipeline, especially those deals that are forecast to close in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Mm -hmm. right? It's going to be a very short-term focus. And, and frankly, I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into each one of those. You know, pick out those high-risk opportunity, those high-value opportunities. Let's make sure we really understand why we believe these are going to close, why that sales rep or that, that uh, customer would buy from us, what that sales rep has done or hasn't done to move those opportunities forward. Okay. Right? So it's, it's a thorough pipeline assessment and analysis, if you will. And, and out of that, I'm going to learn two things, and, and maybe there's three things I would do. But the first one is I'm going to get a pretty good feel for my sales reps. Right. And that, that's kind of the second thing I would do is assess my talent. Do I have the right people here? And asking them those, those detailed questions about their opportunities and about their pipeline is going to give me a very good sense of, is this person managing their pipeline? Do they understand why our customers buy from us? Do they know how to, to continually advance an opportunity through the sales process? <clears throat> and the, the corollary to that, the, the other benefit is, hopefully I'm going to get a, start to get a really good sense of our buyers. Why are people buying from us or why aren't they buying from us? What's the typical buying cycle? How many people are involved in that buying decision? So, you know, what I really want to focus on is getting smarter about our market, our opportunity, and my sales reps. Right. So I can make some short-term, medium-term, begin to think about some long-term changes. I like it. Good answer. Good answer. You pass. You can keep, you can <laughs> keep your job as a research analyst. So uh, let's go back to, we were talking about the sales technologies. Yep. And you had sort of four points about you know, how to get them drive the most out of your investment in these technologies. And I, I sort of changed the order of them <laughs> that, that you had listed in your article. But, but I think the one the, for me, the most important was you said, make that shift from buying software to buying outcomes. Yes. Right. Because, you know, there's no shortage of tools that, that promise certain things. But to me, the issue is always knowing what's achievable with your resources and so on. So how do, how do people make that mindset change? Well, that's, that's the other really interesting shift that we're seeing in terms of the, the vendor-buyer relationship, if you will. You know, it used to be enough to just have a, a really good software tool with a lot of features and functions, and, and you would kind of roll that out, and people would start to adopt it and use it either by force or by choice. That, that's not enough now. So we're, we're really seeing vendors begin to put a lot more focus, a lot more emphasis and organizational resources behind this idea of end-user adoption and engagement. So, up, 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 you know, which, when is, I was, which has always been the bugaboo with CRM, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and CRM is kind of easy to pick on, but, but the, even most of the CRM players are doing a better job. They're revising their user interfaces. They're doing things to make the tool itself easier to use, more process-oriented. Uh, personally, I think they still have a long way to go, but in many respects, it's not the vendor's fault. Mm -hmm. So again and again and again, we see companies implement a, a CRM or SFA um, platform, and and I heard this term the other day, and I think it's absolutely correct. It becomes a sales interrogation platform. <laughs> so so you know yeah. companies set it up. They're trying to draw every single piece of information and insight from the sales rep, and they're not giving anything back. Yeah, I mean it's it's command and control. That's right. That's right. So that that mindset has to change. But where we are seeing a change, kind of kind of back to the point around um, buying outcomes is vendors are paying a lot more attention to what happens after that sale is made in terms of the company's ability, the customer's ability to integrate that tool into their flow, make it part of what their sales reps do on a day-to-day -day basis, drive 
companies from, you know, simple adoption where I use the tool because I have to, to what we call engagement, which is where the end user, ideally the sales rep, views that tool as something that, that augments their sales performance and is actually critical to their ability to perform their job. Right. And, and I'll, 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 I'm going to compliment some of the analytics vendors that are out there because they're spending as much as 50% of their time, their energy after the sale helping people understand, okay, I have this dashboard. What does it mean to me what, as a sales rep? How can I take this information and make it actionable and make it intelligent and do something different as a result of having received this? And a lot of people, that's not natural. You may see a dashboard and go, okay, that's interesting, right? Pick on the example I used earlier. Oh, I, I see that I have a couple of deals that are stalled. They've sat in a particular stage for an extended period of time. Right. Well, on the one hand, I could shrug my shoulders and go, eh, so what? I'm still talking to them. It'll get there eventually. On the other hand, if the tool raises that a red flag and says, you know, Steve, when we see this, your probability of winning this deal begins to drop off very dramatically. You really need to think about, is this an active opportunity? And if it is, what are you going to do to re-energize it? No, by the way, here are three techniques that we've seen people use to, to re-energize this deal. Now I can look at it and go, ah. That's giving me some guidance into how I can use this to manage my time as a salesperson on those opportunities I have a high probability of winning. So it's, and that doesn't come natural is, is my point, right? The, the vendor has to sort of teach the salesperson how to use the tool to, to drive productivity to, to help them in their day-to-day job. Well, I think the, the way that the SaaS market has evolved, software as a service has evolved, it really provides an incentive for the vendor to do that, right? Instead of having, you know, sort of a big one-time license of software, you basically have to earn your stripes every month. Every month, every day. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because as easy as it is to turn up a software as a service application. Just as easy to turn it off. Just as easy to turn it off. Right. It's exactly right. Yeah. So for that standpoint, you know, the way that the products are being sold these days, it really benefits the customer. It if, does. If, as you said, they make sure they leverage the vendor, that they insist the vendor help them get successful with it. Yeah, and I, I, we have actually seen vendors who have told prospects, you know, we have this customer engagement program, or we have a customer success team, we have a, we have a process that we go through, a change management process, if you will. I've seen vendors tell customers, this is part of our offering. We will not work with you unless you're willing to make this additional investment because it's a recipe for failure. Exactly. And we'd rather not have you as a client than have you as a failed client. Yeah, that no, makes total sense. Yeah. So one of the key points you had brought up before was um, maximizing the value from the tools you've already deployed, mm-hmm. which I think is critical. So before you add new applications, before you go out and look at you know, expanding the scope of, of what you're providing, look at what you have and get the most out of it or get rid of it. That's right. If it's, if it's not benefiting from you. Yeah. So yeah. how do they do that? Again, is that just working with the, the vendor or is it being more clear about why it is they're using that tool and what they're trying to achieve with it? The outcomes, as you talked about. Well, it's a little of both, but it starts with your second statement. It's, it's, it's an analysis and assessment of, okay, why did we buy this tool? Why isn't it achieving the, the, the desired output? What can we do differently? And, and a, an easy, um, I mean, we do have an, a, an assessment process that looks at six functionality components of a tool. What's the, what's the value to the business? What's the risk? What's the criticality? What's the scalability? So, you know, there is a, a sort of formal assessment process you can go through. But what we're really looking for when all is said and done is what's the value to the end user? 
And, and one of the little mantras I use with our clients on a regular basis when you're thinking about an existing tool or even a new tool is stop, start, continue. What is it if you roll out this new tool that you want reps to stop doing and start doing in this new tool? What is it that you want them to continue doing in an older tool? So, so how do you, you know, you really have to be explicit in terms of, of use cases for sales reps, because we see this time and again where companies go buy the, the shiny new object in the room, mm-hmm. and they throw it out into the sales organization. Everybody start using this. You know, I, I'll, I'll pick on a classic example, which are some of the um, internal social collaboration tools like like Skype, for example, sure. or, or Chatter or Jive, those right. types of things. Right. And people kind of scratch their head and go, okay, am I supposed to use this instead of email in addition to email, we're already using Google Drive. How does this fit with Google Drive? You know, where where do I store documents? I'm not I'm not sure how to use it. You have to be really explicit and tell people this is how we want you to use the tool. Here are some case studies. We're going to seed it. We're going to give you subject matter experts, and that's where the vendor can really come in and help you as you're as you're implementing these new tools. Is understand how to get the maximum value from it. Yeah, and I, gosh, I see those problems even in a small company. I've got oh, several, pe- several people yeah. help me, and we use Slack, but then occasionally we, we we try to stick on it, but then we often default to email back again, or yeah, we've got Google Drive, and it's like, okay, we're only three or four people. It's like, we've got this issue. That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you can imagine how, especially with the ease, Slack is a great example, because I, I've seen organizations where um, there's sort of this stealth IT, the end users go out and say, Hey, my friend or my spouse or this other company, this cool company that I'm selling to is using Slack. It's a lot of fun. Let's use it within our sales team, for example. So they'll go off and get 15, 20 people using Slack. Meanwhile, the company's running around thinking everybody's on Chatter or Jive or some other platform like that. And you, and you start to get this, this you know, IT infrastructure bubbling up from the bottom. And it, it's a real challenge um, for companies to manage. Yeah. Well, and it's, there's also sort of a... I don't know, incentive on the part of some of the vendors to do that sort of guerrilla-based viral marketing within an organization, right? They're oh, trying they're trying to seed yeah. it and hope that it becomes huge within it, and then they've yeah. There, yeah. There's an incentive, and, and you see consumer behavior, um, and this is something we, we're seeing more and more and more consumer behavior sort of bleeding over into the B two B marketplace. As I when I'm using my mobile device, my as a personal device. I don't have to go ask anybody to download a new app. I don't. I don't have to go check with an IT department to see if I can. I can, you know, buy this new video game. I, I just go do it. And you know, I'll, I'm going to say the younger generation, if you will, they come in with a, a sense of rightful impatience. I, you know, I'm used to IT working. I want it to work for me. I don't want to play around with all these restrictions. And, uh, and you're right. It's easy for a vendor to sort of, um, you know, offer, go through a freemium strategy and, and, and begin to penetrate the enterprise. And, and there's some goodness to that, by the way. I, I think oh, yeah. that does hold organizations accountable to make Absolutely. sure their infrastructure is, is working for the end user. Yeah. But it is a challenge. Yeah. I mean, if you've got all your salespeople that have, uh, you know, sent the latest app on their phone, on their phone. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you know, and they're going to be using it. Yeah, that's that could be a big incentive for change within an organization. Yep. Okay, well, great stuff. We're going to move into the last segment of our show. I've got some rapid-fire questions for you. You can give me one-word answers, or you can elaborate if you wish. So you're ready. 
I, I think I'm ready. All right. We'll good. see. We'll test you. Well, there's some really tough okay. ones here. So okay. first one, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? In my personal arsenal? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think it's me. <laughs> there you go. That's a good answer. I, I think it, and I think that's true for any salesperson. You know, we we talk a lot about, and we've seen a lot of uh, changes in B two B selling, but I, in new sales models, supposedly new sales models. When all is said and done, Andy, it, there's still a a huge value to that personal relationship or to the value that the salesperson adds to the transaction. Yeah, I say the interpersonal interaction. Absolutely. Yes. Huge value, especially the more valuable the deal, the more the more uh, average selling price, price range. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's a tool you use for managing your own sales that you can't live without? Well, I, I think it's our, um, it's our Salesforce automation platform. Okay. And, and I would not say we are, uh, and I'm speaking on behalf of Serious Decisions, I wouldn't say, frankly, we're expert users. But it is absolutely the place I go to. So, uh, you know, in my role, I'm not a direct selling role. I don't, I don't have direct account responsibility, but I work very closely with our sales organization, mm-hmm. um, both pre and post sale. Before I agree to go on a sales call, I go into our Salesforce automation platform. I look at the history with the account. I look at the opportunities. I read the notes. And then I call up the salesperson and say, okay, let's talk about this call you want me to go on. What are our objectives? Who are we meeting with? What's your desired outcome? How are we going to get there? What assets are we going to use to, to give to the customer or leave behind? So putting together that call plan. Uh, but it all starts with that, that Salesforce automation platform. All right. Who's your sales role model? Um, you know, I <laughs> when I first started in sales, and, and this was um, back 1989, I, I took on a role as a um, as a regional sales manager for a, a subsidiary of MCI, and uh, my boss at the time was a pretty sophisticated salesperson. Had been out there doing this for quite some time. I, I would say he was my role model at the time. My my first sales manager. Excellent. Right. Yeah. What's the one book every salesperson should read, whether it's sales book or not? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm reading now that I, I'm really enjoying. is called The Second Machine Age. I, I make sure I get that title right, but it's it's about uh, by a Harvard professor, and it's talking about the continued evolution of of technology. And we we keep thinking we're bumping up against against Moore's law, and every time we think we're bumping up against it, you know, which says that uh, uh, rate of technology will continually increase. But you know, his point is we're just getting to the point where we're beginning to take some of these technologies and really apply them so that they're making an impact on life. And it's the equivalent of uh, the, the, um, the Industrial Revolution. And it's a fascinating read. Do you know off the top of your head who the author is? Oh, I could look it up real quick. That's okay. We'll, we'll look it up. We'll, we'll put it on the webpage. We'll look it okay. up. Okay. That's fine. So this is probably the toughest question is, is you know, when you're getting ready to get psyched up for a big meeting or something, what music do you listen to to pump yourself up? Uh, I tend to be an old school rock and roller, so it's going to be classic Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, maybe some Beatles thrown in there. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, a little bit old school. All right, well, that's great. I'll just let you know it's the number one answer so far through this part, this length of the podcast so far. ACDC, just to let you know. Seriously, yeah, 
that would not be my choice, but you know, to each their own. Yeah, we got some headbangers in this crowd. So, um, <laughs> so last question: What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Most frequently by salespeople, mm-hmm. I, it's it's around spending their time. How should so they spend their time? I'm having that direct conversation with a sales rep, not a sales manager, not a sales leader. A rep. I, I, a rep. I think it's around. I'd like to be. Ma- I want to make sure I'm doing the right things, but I'm distracted by all this other stuff. I'm spending a lot of my time chasing down orders. I'm spending a lot of my time trying to get a contract approved. I'm spending a lot of my time doing these internally facing administrative activities. How do I stop doing that and spend more of my time on core selling activities, customer facing uh, activities? And what's your answer? Oh, that's where sales operations comes into play. I mean, that's that's where we step back with our sales operations clients and spend time doing time and motion studies. We look at where those sales reps are actually spending their time. We look at ways to give them time back and then to kind of make sure they're spending their time on the right thing. So I, I wouldn't say there's one easy answer, but it's 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 definitely um, an area where we spend an awful lot of uh, energy and consulting time with our clients. Very good. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. My guest has been Steve Silver, Research Director, Sales Operations Strategies at Serious Decisions. Steve, tell folks how they can find out more about you and Serious Decisions. Easiest way is to go to our website, www.serious, that's S-I-R-I-U-S, decisions.com. And on there, you can find my bio, my profile, a list of our service, our practice areas, uh, and any information you'd like to know about the customer or about our company. Excellent. Okay, well, great. Well, remember, friends, make it a part of your day, every day, to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Steve Silver, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.